Hello, and welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back. This season, we are focusing on the experience of women in the workplace, especially here in Utah. And today, we are exploring the experience of women in leadership positions in particular. Why is this topic so important? Because according to a recent study published by WalletHub, Utah ranks 48th in the nation when it comes to women's representation in executive leadership positions. Here to talk about her experience as a woman in the C-suite is Amy Frampton. Amy is the Chief Marketing Officer at No Fraud, the leader in e-commerce fraud prevention and revenue protection. She also served as Head of Marketing at Bamboo HR and Vice President of Product Marketing at Smartsheet. Amy is a proud graduate of the U and is passionate about mentoring young women on their own college and career journeys. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's fun to be here. Well, Amy, I want to start by putting some context behind this statistic that we just mentioned in the intro. Tell us a little bit about your own career path and what challenges you faced as you worked your way up the corporate ladder. Sure. So I graduated from the U, as you mentioned. I actually graduated in political science and history, but after about six years working in the U.S. House and Senate, I decided to go ahead and move over to the business world. So I moved up to Seattle, which is actually where I grew up. And I I worked there for, gosh, almost 20 years in tech marketing, had some great experiences as I was at Microsoft for 10 years, Hewlett Packard, Worked at Vulcan, which was Paul Allen's company that basically ran all of his businesses over 200. Paul Allen was one of the co-founders of Microsoft, and working with him was just tremendous. And then I went to Smartsheet, as you mentioned, and then moved back here to Utah and worked at Bamboo HR for about three years. And now I'm at No Fraud, which is actually based in New York. Long career. And as I think about how I you know, worked my way up and through <laughs> and sideways and all the things, I think the key thing that I would say is it's, you know, in your career generally, and this isn't just for women, but it's about learning. And so you want to learn where you can have an impact and where you can bring your skills to bear. So I went from politics to marketing. I've been a chief of staff. You know, sometimes people look at my LinkedIn and say, wow, you've kind of done a lot of different things. But the reality is each time I've tried to take my learning and utilize it to have impact in the next role. I love what you said about finding a place where I can have an impact. And I think that applies not only to what I want to do in my career and the impact that I want to have through my work, but also what can I do as a person, as a woman in the workplace to have an impact on the culture, on the experience that other women are going to have because I leaned in, used my voice. I also love what you said about learning, and I think this applies in both areas also. If we want to progress in a career sense, then applying our learning, continuously learning, and then applying that learning to the next opportunity, the next role, the next company is how we really move ourselves up that ladder, even if it's not a straight shot, right? I think that's absolutely right. You know, when you were talking through that, it made me think of In my generation, so I graduated from the U in 1994, we've seen maybe some things and some growth culturally that our moms didn't see. And then our kids, girls and boys, are seeing things 
that we aren't seeing. There's a quote in the Barbie movie, not to quote the Barbie movie, but the Barbie movie was epic. And at the end where the inventor of Barbie says, mothers, and I would say women, stand still so they could, their daughters can see how far they've come. And I do think every generation is getting better and better at having that impact and learning their voice. When I was at Vulcan, it was an incredible place to work. And I remember saying to my niece, who was nine at the time, I work with a female rocket scientist. And isn't that amazing? Like, I literally worked with this amazing woman who was a rocket scientist. And she looked at me like, yeah. (laughs) So what? Right? Yeah. As a little girl at that time in Seattle, to her, being a rocket scientist felt totally doable. And so I do think as we speak up, and I'm not done with that yet, you know, I'm not done with my career yet, and the next generation speaks up and the next generation speaks up and thinks about impact, and those around us become more and more aware, we are making progress. And it's fun to see that. Well, as we talk about value, Amy, and the unique value that we can add as women and as individuals, right? Women are also not a homogenous group. We all are different and have different things that we can and should bring. Let's talk a little bit about executive leadership and why it's so important for women and the unique value that we can bring, the unique perspectives that we can bring. Why is it so important to have women and those perspectives in executive leadership positions? Sure. So women aren't all the same. Men aren't all the same. You know, we're humans aren't all the same. It's always hard when someone says, well, women bring this, right? Because we all bring different things. But I do think that, you know, what we know from brain chemistry is that women do have the ability to look across kind of a situation and see all of the dots and connect them in a really unique way and to have empathy and understanding of where people are coming from, that that is often something that women are are really, really good at. And then we just bring our own perspectives from where we are, whether we're moms or grandmothers or in marketing, women, it's good to know women make most of the purchasing decisions for their households. So if you're trying to sell something, which most businesses are, it's good to be aware of those buying purchases, even if you're in B2B, understanding how people think about purchasing is a really valuable thing. We've probably all had the experience of watching an ad and thinking, oh, if there had been a woman in that brainstorming session, or if there had been a person of color in that brainstorming session, I don't think this is what we would have come up with. That's right. So I think also remembering there's really a business case, whatever our business is, we're more successful when we understand people and what they value and their behavior and what's important to them. It helps us as people to be more empathetic, as you said, and then also helps us as businesses to capture the customers that we need and that we want. A long time ago, a mentor of mine used to talk about pressure testing your thinking, right? And so you think of like, you might say, this is what we should do. But if it's never tested, there's no pressure put up against it, no questioning put up against it. It's very hard to know if you've gotten to the best answer. I think we all pressure test from a different perspective as just as humans. 
And so the more diversity you can get in a room to test ideas from different perspectives, whether that is, hey, finance should test this from their perspective, or a person of color should test this from theirs or a a different gender, whatever it is, the more testing we can do before we go to market is so important to a great running of a business. From my perspective, to great marketing, helping your salespeople know how to go out and talk to folks. All of that is lifted by diversity of questioning and thought. I really love that. I've never heard that term, pressure testing. But I think it can also apply to our own internal thinking, right? If I respond to a situation, for example, in a certain way, I can also pressure test that a little bit and say, okay, what am I doing here and why? Why am I reacting this way? Why am I thinking this way about another person or about a situation? And I think that can also be part of this culture shift in organizations. We can bring our own pressure-tested approach to our interactions with other people in our organization, hopefully for a positive result. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when you're self-aware, you do that, right? And we're all trying to be self-aware, and we're all sometimes better at it than other times. It's the same reason that we say our best friends are the ones that support us no matter what, but also call us on our stuff, you know, because my best girlfriends will say, actually, you know, and because when you have a chorus of yes, either in your head, in your friendships, in your boardroom, you're not going to do your best thinking. There's just no way that that happens. Amy, I love that you mentioned friends and you've also mentioned a few great mentors that you've had in your career. And now you are yourself passionate about mentoring and being a mentor. Talk about why mentors are so critical for our academic success and our career success. What role do they play that really is kind of a difference maker? Gosh, I've had such great mentors in my life. I had great mentors at the U and in work. And I agree, they're just so, so important. And I think us understanding that really, whether it's explicit or not, we're serving as mentors for those around us. And just to be aware of that, I think is really, really important. People that are willing to give you their time are are mentors. And sometimes it's an explicit corporate program, you know, where every executive is supposed to mentor X number of people and every person that's identified as high potential is supposed to have so many mentors. And and those can work great because they facilitate introductions and they kind of help all of us understand the importance of mentorship. But a lot of it has just been, for me, has been really organic. You know, for people, men and women that I've worked with that have been willing to take the time to say, hey, here's something to think about. Or hey, why don't you run that by me before you go through it with everybody else? Or I've got a couple examples. I had Ted Wilson, it has been a mentor my whole life, former director of the Hinckley Institute, mayor of Salt Lake. He was my mom's English teacher at Skyline High. He was my mom's English teacher. That's right, I remember that. And now his (laughs) amazingly talented daughter is, is mayor of the county, Salt Lake County. And he from day one, saw my enthusiasm about what he was teaching and just was great about giving me time, giving me opportunities um, through the Hinkley for internships, and then offering me a job. And I think great mentors give you time 
and understand the value of bringing new people into conversations and helping them find their place and their voice. And that was what he was great at. That's what other mentors of mine have done, said, hey, join us up here at the table, whatever the table is, whether it's planning something or executing on a new campaign or a leadership table. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you be successful because I knew this is a new table for you. I had a woman once at Microsoft after I presented to a leadership team and it went fine. But she afterwards, she said, hey, let me tell you what this vice president always loves to hear because every executive is different. So that next time you go into a presentation, you can frame it in that way and have more success. And man, I, I think of her regularly when I when I try to do that for others because she didn't have to do that. I didn't work for her. She didn't need to do that, but she had seen a decent presentation that could have been better had she helped. And she gave me her time and that made a huge, huge difference. Yeah, mentorship as a kind of pressure testing, mm-hmm. right? I know that you can do it even if you think you can't or here are the things that you need to think about that you weren't aware of. I love that. I also think it's so true, and this has come up in other conversations I've had on this topic, that men have access to a lot of informal mentoring that women often don't. So mentoring on the golf course, mentoring over lunch when a woman is working through lunch because she has to leave at three to pick up her kids from school or whatever the case, whatever the circumstances, men often have access to this more informal type of mentoring like you described with your presentation. And so I love what you say about time, that just taking a few minutes after a meeting to say, great job, this is what could have made it even better. I think that sort of continuous access to formal and informal mentoring is really a game changer when it comes time for a promotion where two people with the same skill set, you know, in the same position are up for a promotion. There are those little things that if we have access to mentoring, that's right, we can improve and take care of that really catapult us to the next level. And men have that from day one. They just do. It's just assumed. It's just assumed that they are going to try to climb the ladder, at least in sort of the, in a lot of our cultures in the U.S. And so they're getting that mentorship from day one. It's not necessarily assumed for us. And so, you know, I joined Chief, the women's organization for executive women, two years ago. And and Chief has had some rough times and I'm still a member. I'm glad to be a member. I, I have found it really, really valuable. But I remember when I joined a male friend said to me, why do you need that? Is, is that that thing people are posting about or women are posting about on LinkedIn? Why do you need that? And he was just curious. And I said, well, so this is what men have been doing with each other informally for, say, the last 4,000 years. And so whether it's in a bar or sitting after an offsite smoking cigars, which I've experienced, or on the golf course, or, you know, hanging together playing basketball, which I've also experienced teams where all the men will play basketball together, you know, all those things. Because humans like to connect, right? I mean, I do think with my girlfriends, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but they end up getting, you know, I said, you've had that for like 4,000 years. So now 
I'm going to take a stab for a year because I just signed up for a year at doing that for me. And I remember him looking at me like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I thought, I know you don't. And that's okay. But we need to create spaces in which we are mentoring each other. And I mentor both men and women in college. All of them, I was going to say all kids, and I know they're not kids, (laughs) but everyone needs a mentor, right? And so I don't only mentor female students or, or newly out of school, just like I don't only mentor kids from the U. In fact, my intern was from that other school down south um, this <laughs> summer, and she was phenomenal at their business school, and she's talented and amazing. But I do think we need to create those spaces, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting difference, that it's just assumed and automatically available for men. And as women, we have to intentionally create those spaces, whether it's Women Tech Council whether it's the Women in Business Club at the U or the Black in Business Club at the Eccles School, we have to make some effort to give ourselves access to those same opportunities. One of the sort of broader themes that we're exploring this season is this idea of empathy and the Eccles School value of empathetic global citizenship. And I love what you say about not assuming what people want or what they're going to want to do, but also creating spaces for a huge variety of experiences and circumstances. And I think understanding that variety and allowing people to come as their full selves with their full experience, whatever that might be. So I don't have to hide at work that I'm a mom. It's okay to talk about my kids or it's okay to say orchestra concert today, breakdancing battle today, school Halloween parade today to allow that wall to come down and not feel like we have to separate who we are in our family or in our home from who we are at work, I think is a huge part of nurturing that empathy in the workplace and slowly shifting the culture so that it can be, our workplaces can be somewhere where everyone, whatever it is that you're bringing, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, your family dynamic, that we feel comfortable bringing all of that to the workplace. That's right. I think then that rising tide will lift all of our boats. For sure, because we want dads to get to go to the orchestra concert too, right? Like all of us need that empathy. And I think as women, we can model that and hopefully help change the culture that allows for everyone, no matter the space they come from, to be their their whole selves and have an impact on the business. Like I just think there's a real opportunity for all of us to grow in that way and that women can lead that in a lot of ways and help change the culture. Well, Amy, we've talked about changing culture a little bit and what it was like in the 80s, the mid-90s in the workplace. (laughs) Yes. I think that we have to feel like progress is being made. It for sure can be so demoralizing to hear these statistics and think nothing is changing and there's nothing I can do. I'm curious through your own mentorship as you work with women and men in college and entering the workforce, 
what do you see that's different and better for them as they're taking these first steps? And what do you hope to see in the workplace going forward that is a sign of positive change and progress? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll I'll talk about it, one that's maybe more data-driven and and one that's maybe just what I see a little bit more qualitative. So one of my first jobs out of college, and this was not at the University of Utah, I want to be really clear, I actually had a situation where someone who was in my same job, who was male, was making 22% more than me, to be specific. And because it was a government job, again, not at the University of Utah, our salaries were public. And so I went to our manager, and I, who was also male, and said, I don't understand. We literally have the same experience. We're doing exactly the same job. Neither of us has ever done this before. We're both right out of college. And this manager said to me, well, he has a family to support, and you don't. And at the time, like, I knew that was wrong. This is the 90s, which is crazy to me looking back now. I'm thinking, this was the 90s. Like, how on earth did I just take that? <laughs> but I did. Like, I knew it didn't feel good, but I didn't know how to act on that. And this was in Utah. I will tell you that does not happen, at least in my experience today. Now, there may be some one-offs, you know, where things like that are still said. But I think the understanding, and pay equity isn't where we need it to be. I'm not saying it is. But there is now a complete acknowledgement that pay equity is important and an issue and something that like it would never be said. And I think we've made huge strides while we're not there as a culture, just not just in Utah, just across the board where that's just not acceptable. And so I do think we've made great strides in terms of pay equity, still work to do. The women I see coming out of the U right now versus me coming out of the U are strong and smart and capable. And they have a much broader view of what's possible. It's like with my niece, with, you know, I said, hey, there's a rocket scientist, you know, female rocket scientist. And she looked at me like, yeah, whatever, auntie. Like, why wouldn't there be? Why wouldn't there be? Exactly. I remember her just looking at me like, I don't understand what you're trying to say here, you know? And I do think that there is just a lot more confidence in the ability to go get a great job. We still see STEM as a challenge, right? But I think it's changing. And to go be who they want to be and expect to be seen in that way at work, no matter their gender, no matter their identity, no matter who they are, that they can have a huge impact. And so I I do think there's been so much progress made as I talk to these girls that are thinking about what they want to do, what their majors are. They're just incredibly confident and smart women. Do I think they're moving into a workplace that is completely equitable yet? No, I don't. And I think there's a lot of awareness raising as a state we need to do and acknowledgement and working through. I think we have to be optimistic if we're going to try. And I think there is a lot to look to that shows progress and the potential for more progress. Yeah. 100%. It's a different space than it was, and we'll continue to get better and better. And the only way we will do that is by all of us leaning in and finding our voices and not thinking something but not saying it. And that's on all of us, really. 
Well, Amy, to finish up today, I'd love to hear from you as you think about yourself and the position that the women you mentor are now in, in college, starting your career. What is a piece of advice that you wish you had had? Yeah. Don't worry so much. Just don't worry so much. I do see, and I saw it in myself. Looking back, I see it in myself. And I see it in the women I'm interviewing. You know, I got to have the exact right major. And I got to, then what's my perfect right job? I was on a different podcast with the business school. And they asked me, if a woman wants to become a CMO, what should she do right after graduation? And I was like, not think about being a CMO. (laughs) Like, just, it's going to be fine, right? You're amazing. You're smart. You're confident, you're gonna screw up, and that's okay too. And go find a job that is interesting and you learn critical thinking skills and writing, which is so important no matter what your job is. I mean, even engineers have to write now on Amazon, like everyone has to write. Go find something that you can really get into and learn from, and then you'll figure out what you're gonna go do next. And sometimes you're gonna suck. And sometimes you're going to do something you think, why did I do that? I should have known, should have, would have, could have. It's fine. Keep learning. Keep moving forward. Keep bringing what you individually bring to the table. And it's going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to end. We're all going to be fine no matter what. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your experience and your insight. Thanks so much for having me. Go use. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode exploring the experience of women in the workplace and how more diverse companies and communities can help all of us develop a little more empathy. I really hope you'll join us. Don't forget to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time. Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.